Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and this week the UConn basketball community has suffered a terrible loss. Uh, by now you've no doubt heard the news. Stanley Robinson, the former UConn basketball standout and one of the most captivating players in program history, has died. According to the Hartford Current, Stanley was found unresponsive by his mother on Tuesday night in his family's Birmingham, Alabama home. The Jefferson County Deputy Chief Coroner said there's no evidence of foul player trauma, but as of this recording, uh, no cause of death has been confirmed. Stanley was 32 years old and is survived by three daughters. Hearing this news was tough. Um, it really was, and not not just because Stanley, you know, was a famous basketball player because he, you know, died far too young. Stanley Stanley Robinson deserved a better ending to his story. He was, uh, by all accounts, a wonderful person with all the potential in the world and who could just never catch a break. Uh, so despite all the adversity he faced over the years, you know, Stanley always persevered. And in doing so, he left a clear impression on everybody who he crossed paths with. Jim Calhoun, who recruited Stanley to UConn as a five-star prospect out of Alabama and with whom he's remained close ever since, described Stanley as, quote, just a really, really sweet kid. The world was harsh for him because they weren't all like Stanley Robinson. He was such a caring, giving person. That Stanley and Coach Calhoun remained so close is a testament to Stanley's own character and to the unique bond that they forged over their four years in stores together. Before his arrival at UConn, Stanley, known by friends and fans as Sticks, was a prized high school prospect oozing with athleticism. At six foot nine, he had a perfect basketball body, and in 2006, he earned Alabama's Mr. Basketball Honors, graduating from Huffman High with over 2,000 career points. UConn fans were understandably thrilled by his potential, and while he never blossomed into a superstar, he quickly became a fan favorite thanks to his enthusiasm, his competitive spirit, and his uncanny ability to deliver breathtaking feats of athleticism on any given night. Despite all of his gifts, Stanley lacked direction, and for every highlight reel dunk, there was a self-inflicted setback along the way. He'd be late to practice, or he'd miss class, and by his own admission, he had a lot of growing up to do. Eventually, Jim Calhoun had seen enough. After Stanley's sophomore year, a year in which he'd started 32 of 33 games, averaged 10.4 points and 6.5 rebounds per game, and scored a team, uh, a team season-high 32 points in a win over Maine, Calhoun sat him down and told him the hard truth. He didn't like what he was seeing, and he wasn't happy with the direction Stanley was headed. He would be suspended for the first semester of the upcoming season, and he could either go home to Alabama to be with his family, or he could stay in Connecticut. But if he stayed, he wouldn't be able to stay on the team, and he wouldn't be enrolled at school. Stanley decided to stay, and over the next few months, he worked his way back into Calhoun's good graces by taking a job sorting scrap metal at Prime Materials Incorporated in nearby Willimantic. His journey back from the literal scrap heap was well chronicled in a Dana O'Neill piece from ESPN in December 2008, a part of which reads as follows. Robinson didn't do anything wrong. He didn't commit a crime, didn't injure or attempt to injure anyone else. He is not academically ineligible. So why isn't he playing? What earned him a five-month sentence of hard labor? A desperate need, Calhoun says, to grow up. The only one being harmed was Stanley, Calhoun said. I had a couple of players I asked to leave the program. I didn't want Stanley to leave. He's a really good kid with a heart of gold, but he had to get his life square. I saw signs, little things. He'd be late to study hall or late to practice. He wasn't always going to class. He just wasn't focused. So at the end of the season, Calhoun called Robinson into his office and told the sophomore he was suspended for the first semester of his junior season. Calhoun gave him a choice. 
He could return home to Alabama, maybe take a few courses there, or he could stay in Connecticut. If he remained, however, he wouldn't be part of the team. He would not be enrolled in university and should, Calhoun suggested, find himself a job. If he did everything Calhoun asked, Robinson would be allowed to join the team in December. It all begs for a heavy dose of cynicism. After all, A.J. Price and Marcus Williams were accused of trying to sell stolen laptops across state lines, a third-degree felony. Williams was suspended for four months but remained in school. Price, who was also accused of lying to police, was banished for a year but also remained enrolled. Jerome Dyson failed a drug test but missed just nine games. Yet Robinson, a talented forward who could have made the number two Huskies even better, was booted from the team and from school and will have to pay his way next semester because of chronic tardiness? I know, I've heard the rumors, but none of them are true, Robinson said. There's nothing more to it. If there is a smoking gun, it's hidden somewhere in the backwoods off State Highway 195 in northeastern Connecticut. There is no record of an arrest or even so much as an off-campus dust-up with Robinson. Calhoun and Robinson both say he is in good academic standing, though that information is not available to the public, a representative from the Dean of Students' Office explained to ESPN.com. This, Calhoun and Robinson insist, is more a rescue mission than punishment, a case in which a combustible combination of immaturity, homesickness, and social awkwardness were beelining on a collision course to unravel what Calhoun believes is a future NBA career. It's not drinking or drugs. He didn't do anything wrong, Calhoun said. He had some emotional problems, maturity issues, and I told him the only reason I'm doing this is because I care about you. Calhoun admits this isn't standard procedure for him. He has run plenty of players off for transgressions big and small, and with a stockpile of talent always available at his fingertips, doesn't need to spend time rehabilitating a kid. But Calhoun says Robinson isn't a standard player. He seems to genuinely like him, remarks with a stunned pleasure how Robinson still gets him a Christmas gift, an uncool no-no among today's players. Last year it was a golf tee gadget. This year Robinson is still thinking. Calhoun charted the unusual course as his own method of tough love because he believed Robinson would embrace it and not leave for another school. It wouldn't work with most kids, no way, Calhoun said. Most kids would have said, screw you. Alabama was on the phone every day. Stanley could have left in a heartbeat, but he's unique. Indeed, the only thing more stunning than Calhoun's patience and punishment was Robinson's willingness to take it. Here was a kid, not even 18, when he enrolled at UConn, a desperately homesick southern fried catfish out of sorts in codfish cold waters. He was socially skittish. Assistant Director of Athletic Communications Kyle Muncy used to literally chase Robinson down for post-game interviews at a school that engenders swarming media interests statewide. He also missed his two daughters, so no one would have been surprised if Robinson had bolted for Bama or hometown UAB. Robinson thought about it briefly, but realized three things right away. He had made a commitment to Connecticut. He would become a better player with a potentially brighter basketball future by staying at UConn. And the stunner, he and his family members both thought Calhoun was dead right. When Robinson called his mother, Rosa, and told her his choice, he remembers his mom, who spent her whole life working in a factory, said three simple words. So do it. Stanley Robinson grew up with plenty of positive male role models in his life, but no father. Part of what sold Rosa and her son's extended family on Yukon was Calhoun's background and old-school approach. The Connecticut coach lost his father when he was 15 and recognized immediately both what Robinson missed and needed. In the end, you pick a coach, not a school, said Robinson's uncle, Jeremy Welton, who moved to nearby Vernon, Connecticut just before Robinson came to school. He has since finished his degree in finance and works in a local bank. 
He and his mom both thought it was important that they pick a coach with a good track record, someone who has been around the track a couple times and was stern and forceful. Robinson's forced exile has done nothing to curb his family's enthusiasm for Calhoun. If anything, Robinson is more of a Calhoun fan and cheerleader today than he was two years ago. As he sat in the stands watching Calhoun screech during a timeout, Robinson laughed. Asked what the coach was doing, he smirked and said, cussing. (laughs) He believes there are two ways to react to Calhoun, to turn a deaf ear and miss what he's saying, or to dig beneath the wilting criticism to find the true intent. It's the same as his current circumstance. Instead of thinking he's done the coach a favor by sticking around, Robinson believes Calhoun did him a favor by not quitting on him. Some coaches, most coaches, would just kick you out, he said. They don't need you, so they don't want to be bothered with you. He took a second chance on me. I love that man. The article goes on to describe the various tasks that Stanley undertook during his exile in the scrap heap. It describes how he used to wear a Yukon sweatshirt to work, surrounded by these grizzled men who all know who he was and why he was there, and the way he would sort through the metal, gingerly trying his best to make sure he didn't accidentally cut his sweatshirt or himself. Before and after work, he would make sure that he kept himself in shape, working out and running the stadium steps so that when his time came, he'd be ready to contribute to the team. Eventually, he got his opportunity. Stanley returned to the team on December 14th, 2008, and the following night he came off the bench to score 7 points and 5 rebounds, plus a sick alley-oop dunk from the baseline, in a 91-57 win over Stony Brook. In his absence, UConn had gotten off to an 8-0 start, and with Stanley back in the lineup, the number 2 ranked Huskies continued to roll. UConn eventually improved to 24-1 through its first 25 games, one of its best starts in program history, and as the season went along, Stanley steadily became a bigger and bigger part of the team's success. Eventually, when classmate Jerome Dyson was lost for the season with a knee injury, Stanley became indispensable, and thanks in large part to his contributions, the Huskies went into the NCAA tournament as a number one seed and ultimately reached the Final Four. While the Huskies badly underachieved his senior year in 2010, Stanley finished his time at UConn with his best individual season. He averaged 14.5 points per game and a team-best 7.5 rebounds. Dating back to the end of the 2008-09 season, he recorded 34 consecutive games with 10 or more points. He led UConn to a thrilling upset of number one ranked Texas at Gamble Pavilion, scoring 17 points with 12 rebounds while providing one of the most incredible highlights in UConn basketball history, finishing a half-court alley-oop dunk that nearly brought the house down. When all was said and done, Stanley finished his career with 1,231 points, averaging 9.8 points and 6.2 rebounds per game for his career in 126 games and 103 starts. He was drafted in the second round, number 59 overall, in the 2010 NBA draft by the Orlando Magic, though he would never play in the NBA. He was cut on the last day of training camp, and after the NBA lockout in 2011 limited his opportunities elsewhere, he wound up playing in the NBA D-League, and would later play professionally in Canada, Iceland, and Chile before injuries derailed and ultimately ended his career. Sticks just couldn't ever get the break he needed, Jim Calhoun said. But no matter what happened, he always had a smile on his face. Stanley had an uncanny ability to bring smiles to other people's faces as well. During his time at UConn, he routinely delivered jaw-dropping plays that would rank among the best in any other program's history, except he made them so often and so easily that you almost forgot how crazy they really were. A highlight reel put together by UConn Supervan TCF15 is literally over 12 minutes long, and each play is more incredible than the last. Besides the Texas dunk, which I'd rank among the most incredible individual basketball plays I've ever seen, 
Stanley's most memorable highlight is probably the windmill dunk he threw down against Syracuse in the six-overtime game in the 2009 Big East Tournament. It was so over-the-top, so gaudy, that Jim Calhoun probably would have spontaneously combusted if he'd missed. He almost did anyways. But just for good measure, Stanley had two or three other monster dunks and putbacks in that game as well. But Stanley wasn't all style. He was a real player who could contribute in a variety of ways, so it's fitting that that game also doubled as one of his best overall performances as a Husky. By the time he fouled out in the third overtime, Stanley had scored 28 points and 14 rebounds with an efficient 11-for-19 shooting line, plus three steals for good measure. He even hit a three-pointer late in the first overtime, which put UConn ahead by four points and, if we're being honest, should have probably won the game. In a weird way, Stanley's flash obscured just how good a basketball player he really was. Stanley was never the best player on the team, and he certainly wasn't one of the greatest in UConn history, but despite his personal struggles, he made himself into a rock-solid player who played a key role in UConn's success. Of all the tributes that have come in since news of his death broke, and there have been many, the one that struck me the most wasn't from a UConn player or a former coach. It was from Tennessee assistant coach Kim English, who was a member of the 2009 Missouri team that UConn beat in the Elite Eight prior to reaching the Final Four. In the 2009 Elite Eight, we were busy preparing for Hashim Thabit and his defense, English wrote. Stanley Robinson and a freshman named Kemba Walker made the biggest difference in the game. Rest easy, Stanley. Indeed, Stanley had 13 points and 6 rebounds in that win. Not the kind of eye-popping figures that jump off the box score like a Stanley Robinson windmill dunk, but the kind of numbers UConn needed to get back to the Final Four. I never got to know Stanley personally. We overlapped at UConn for two years, but by the time I started covering the team for the daily campus, he had already graduated. So I only knew Stanley the way thousands of other UConn fans did, as a brilliant and thrilling playmaker unlike any other we've ever seen. While his story reached its end far too soon, and while he never got to enjoy the personal and professional breakthrough he always deserved, he leaves behind a legacy as one of the most memorable players and people in UConn basketball history, and more importantly, as a great person who made the world a better place than he'd found it. Rest easy, Stanley. You'll never be forgotten.